Well, um, good morning uh, and welcome. Thank you, Libby, for, for hosting us this morning and for sharing about what's going on. Um, we, uh, before I dig into the message this morning, I do want to, I feel like I need to apologize a little bit to some of you. I heard from a few of you after last week's message that my trimming and pruning of the grapevine up here uh, was a bit traumatic for you. And so I'm sorry to all the plant lovers in this place. I apologize for that. My, I, my intention was not to inflict any kind of emotional pain. And so I apologize for that. Um, I can assure you that no plants were harmed in the writing of this message this week, nor will they be harmed while we're, spe- well, I mean, the spirit can move how it, how it wants to, but um, this morning we're actually starting a new series, and uh, you, you saw it up there, uh, we're jumping into a, a new book, and, and over the court, well, not a new book, it's a part of the Bible, so it's kind of an old book, uh, but over the course of this fall, we're going to be walking through and studying together as a congregation the book of Acts. Uh, now, I want to encourage you and invite you into something as we do this. While we're going through this series, uh, I, I want to invite you to read through the book of Acts multiple times over the course of this fall. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and so if you read a chapter a day, you would get through the book of Acts twice before November rolls around. And we'll likely be teaching in this series through at least then. And what the hope is, is that in doing that, in in digging in and reading each week on your own, that as we read the the text together, and I'm going to be doing the same thing, our family's going to be doing that, and so uh, we'll be joining in that. But the, the, the thought is that as we read the text together each week as a congregation, and then come together on Sunday morning to dig deeper into some of what it has to say, that God will use this as a means of transformation in our lives as a community. So I want to I invite you to, to jump into that this fall. Now before we jump into specific text this morning, we did hear the text earlier and we're going to look at that, but before we do that, we're going to look at a bit of an overview uh, to the book of Acts. Now, Depending on where you are in your faith uh, and, your, and your, your faith journey, some of this might be new to you. Um, some of it, it you may be very familiar with. Uh, I, there are a lot of us in this room. I don't know where each of you are in your journey. Some of you have been following Jesus for years and years. Some of you may not even have decided to follow Jesus yet. Wherever that is that you find yourself this morning, I'm grateful that you're here because God meets us right where we are and will walk with us as we continue to seek him. And so wherever that is, I'm grateful that we can dig into the text and, and walk together as a church as we move forward in this series. Now, again, wherever it is you are, some of this may be old information, some of it be, may be brand new. Um, but bear with me on this. The, the book of Acts is referred to in some Bibles as the Acts of the Apostles. Now, that name or title wasn't necessarily given by the author, but it is included in some of the earlier manuscripts that we find of the book of Acts, likely because of the accounts of the apostles that are are contained within this writing. Now, if you're new to the Bible, Acts is found about three-quarters of the way towards the back. Uh, It's right after the Gospel of John, which we as a church, we've spent a good uh, deal of time in in that uh, book lately. Most people believe that the book of Acts was written uh, kind of about 60 to 64 AD or sometime within that that range, and it includes about 30 years of historical accounts. These are things that happened in the beginning of the Christian church. So uh, from about AD 33 to about AD 63, about 30 years of church history is found here in the book of Acts. Now, Acts was written by a guy by the name of Luke, and it's actually part two of a, or a continuation of a two-part book or two-part letter which he wrote, and the first one we know as the Gospel of Luke, which is a really creative title uh, because Luke wrote that. Um, we don't know a ton about Luke. Uh, we do know that he was a physician. He was a medical doctor. Also that he was a good friend of of the Apostle Paul and he was a traveling companion with him on some of his adventures as we're going to see in later weeks in this series. 
Some have also speculated that Luke might have been a Gentile. Uh, and, and that's based on a passage out of Colossians where Paul, he's listing his, his Jewish traveling companions and Luke doesn't get mentioned there but he gets mentioned elsewhere in the passage and so some have said well you know Luke was a Gentile and that would explain some of the kind of the 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 direction of some of his writing in the gospel of Luke as well but we don't know that's just speculation now in addition to these minor pieces of background info that we do know about Luke we're also able to gather a little bit about the purpose of Luke's writing, mostly because he shares what that purpose is in chapter 1 of the book of Luke. And that's where we read this. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that, you, that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So the stated intent of Luke was to carefully investigate and to write an orderly account of all the things, meaning all of the stuff that had happened surrounding Jesus and, and his followers, all of the things that Theophilus had been taught. So apparently he was a, a follower of Jesus or he was learning about Jesus. And, and so that intent of, of what he was doing in the book of Luke is carried on seemingly into the book of Acts as well because Luke again mentions here the recipient Theophilus as, as the one who this is intended for. So who's Theophilus? Um, we don't know for sure. The name itself means loved by God or friend of God, which has led some to believe that Theophilus was just a generic title that applies to all Christians and that Luke was just writing this as kind of a circular letter to all Christians to, 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 uh, to read about what had happened. And so if that's the case, you know, you and I, I, I would be Theophilus, you'd be Theophilus, together would be Theopoli, I guess, right, you know? <laughs> And as cool as it is to gain a nickname like that, which you feel free to call each other Theopoli if you want to later on, but as cool as it is to gain a, a nickname like that, uh, from the context of Luke and Acts, this probably isn't the case. It's probably not just a generic letter. Rather, the probability is that Luke is actually writing to a, a specific person. Now, part of what makes scholars lean this way is the reference in Luke uh, verse 3, we read this uh, uh, just a few moments ago, where he refers to him as most excellent Theophilus. If you grew up around my time period, you may remember Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. And they, I think, use that title quite a bit. I don't think that's what Luke is doing here. Uh, rather, what I think Luke is doing here is he is uh, he's using this kind of this term of nobility. Um, when he, and, and this is, Paul did the same thing. We see, we'll see this later on in Acts, but when he addresses the governor Felix or the governor Festus, uh, he, he references them as most excellent. And so who Luke is addressing here is probably some kind of high-ranking government official or, 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 or some kind of Roman officer. Uh, and, and, and the thought is that, that, that the Theophilus filled a role similar to that. Or there's one more thought is that Theophilus was a, just a wealthy, influential man at the time of Luke. There's some references to a guy by the name of Theophilus who was a leader in the city of Antioch during the time of Luke. And so some have said, well, it's possible that this guy Theophilus that Luke is writing to, that he was a benefactor of Luke and Paul, that he, he actually helped financially support their, um, their missionary journeys. And so that's one of the reasons that Luke is writing to him all of this stuff. Now again, all, a, a lot of this is speculation. We can gather by looking at, at different sources what we think, who we think Theophilus is. What we do know for sure is that Luke sought through his writing of this first letter and here in Acts to provide for Theophilus and ultimately for us an account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus as well as the continuing work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in and through the lives of his followers. 
And that is exactly what we see here as we come to the book of Acts. It is an account of the continuing work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in and through the lives of his followers. Now, one more little quick disclaimer. Sometimes when we come to a book of the Bible, when we read it, it is, um, it's descriptive. It tells about something that happened. And its intent is to be descriptive. It's just to tell us what happened. Other times, we read the, a, a book of the Bible, and it's prescriptive in nature. It is telling us how we should live. How we, it is instructing us in theology. And some come to Acts, and they, they say, well, it's all descriptive. And others come and say, well, it's all prescriptive. This is exactly how we're supposed to live. Just like the, 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 this church, that's exactly how we're supposed to live. And so it's all prescriptive or it's all descriptive. Now, here's what I'll say. It's both. It's both, okay? And there are things, and, and here's a great example of why I say that. How many of you guys have been to a church that chooses their leaders by casting lots? We don't roll dice here to figure out, like, who should be on church council. We don't, we're not flipping a coin, right? Okay, that's descriptive of what they did to choose Matthias as, as the one who filled the, the role of, uh, of Judas. After Judas was, you know, was no longer around because of what Judas did, they, they, they filled that role, Matthias, by casting lots. Casting lots is just basically like throwing dice or, or flipping a coin, okay? So that's descriptive. All right, it, we're, we're not, it's not saying, hey, this is how you pick your leaders in the church. All right, so there are parts of, of the, 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 the book of Acts that are descriptive, but there are also parts that we read and we go, yeah, this is exactly what we need to take from this, you know, and, and, and this is how we need to live this out in our lives as well. So I just want to get that out there uh, because we can have a tendency to skew one way or another, and I think a balanced approach to this book is going to be helpful for us. Now, over the course of this series, we are going to be looking at and exploring various passage th passages throughout the book of Acts. We obviously won't be able to cover everything because that would take years to do, uh, but what we are going to do is just draw out certain accounts and, and, and focus in on them each week. And this is where your personal reading is really going to come into play and to help. Because, because by doing that, by, by digging into the Scripture each week and, 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 and by familiarizing yourself with the book of Acts, it's going to help you to have a greater understanding of what's going on in and around each of these passages that we look at each week. Now this morning, um, as Libby read for us earlier, we're going to start by looking at chapter 1 and the first eight verses of this, this chapter because this passage really provides such a critical setup for the entire book of Acts and the mission of the church. Now there's a lot going on in this passage uh, and, um, and, and we won't get to, to all of it, but there are really just three things that we're going to focus on this morning from within this passage. And most of this takes place from verse 4 to verse 8. Now, if I was going to label what we're going to be doing this morning and what we're going to be looking at this morning, if I was going to give a title to this sermon, I would probably call it The Mission, Means, and Misunderstanding of Acts chapter 1. The Mission, Means, and Misunderstanding of Acts chapter 1. Um, because this, in this text, we see each of these three things. Jesus deals with a misunderstanding among his disciples. Then he clarifies their mission. And then lastly, he shares the means by which that mission will be accomplished. So, the mission, means, and misunderstanding of Acts chapter 1. We're going to start with the, the misunderstanding, but... Um, can we stop and pray? Father, this is your word. Lord, I'm asking you to open up our hearts to hear it. To receive it the way that you desire for us to receive it.
Let us pray that, God, that you would um, you'd do a work that you desire to do in our midst this morning. It's not the words that I speak. It's not the words anybody else speaks, but your word spoken directly to us. And so, Father, we're going to open ourselves up right now. We're just even, even in this taking a moment to pause and realize that, that some of us are already zoning out. We're not paying attention to you. Lord, that you would open us up to, to what you have to speak to us. Father, you can do a work in our hearts that exceeds what we can ever imagine. And so I'm asking for that right now, Lord. You have our attention. Now speak, whether it's through the words that, that have been prepared or through any other words, Lord, speak. We're listening. Amen. Okay, so first, we're going to start off with this uh, misunderstanding in the text. Jesus, if you look at chapter 1, what Luke is doing here is he's kind of reminding uh, his readers of what happened and, and, and kind of how he finished his last account. So Luke, at the end of Luke, if you look at that, he finishes that by talking about how Jesus uh, was resurrected and how he appeared to uh, his followers again and again, and, and he kind of gave them these instructions. And as we come here to Acts chapter 1, that's exactly what we see, although Luke goes into a little bit more detail. What he does is he, he, he talks about how Jesus had, appearing to, had been appearing to his disciples off and on for 40 days after his resurrection, and how he had opened up the scriptures as he did that, uh, speaking about the kingdom of God and, and telling them and opening up their minds to, 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 to all of the things that they needed to be opened up to and, and re- have revealed to them. And now Luke tells us, as we come to this, uh, this passage here, he tells us in verse 4 that on one occasion, Jesus and the disciples were sharing a meal when he said this to them. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Okay, so he's been speaking about this to them. We, we saw this in the Gospel of John, and, and, and he, has, he has told his disciples uh, about how the Holy Spirit is going to come, how the, the advocate or the comforter, the helper, is going to come from, as a gift from the Father. And so he says that my father has promised this, this, the, the, this gift, which you have heard me speak about, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit. That word with can mean in. So you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're familiar with Scripture, you might know that the hopes and dreams of the disciples and the intention of Jesus weren't always in perfect alignment, right? The disciples, they had their own agenda at times. And they had different expectations at times than what Jesus intended for them. And so with that in mind, as we come to what the disciples say to Jesus here, we're not completely surprised. Because in verse 6, they, it says that they gathered around him after he said, John baptized with water. In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gather around him, and this is their response. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, essentially, the disciples, or at least what it looks like, is they're saying, hey, are you finally going to do what we thought you were going to do all along? Is it finally going to happen? If you recall, prior to the cross, this was seemingly on the mind of the disciples. They had visions of an earthly rule and reign being restored and established uh, by Jesus. And now, here they are, seemingly with the same hopes and expectations once again. And they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Now, let me just say this. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to give them too much of a hard time. Some of this may be a little bit more understandable than what it looks like at the surface, because we look at this at the surface and go, "Gosh, you guys are a bunch of knuckleheads, right?" Um, and, but, but see, Jesus here, he's talking. He's been talking about the kingdom of God. 
He's been telling them about the Holy Spirit, right? And, and, and he's here he's saying that the Spirit's going to be poured out. Now in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Joel, it, it spoke of how there, there was this connection of the kingdom of God and the reign of God and, and, and the Spirit being poured out in the last days on His people. And so the misunderstanding here of the disciples, their question might come from more of an honest place than I give them credit for. Um, it, it might not be entirely misguided, but there is a misguided nature to this, this response and this question that they ask. Because where they miss the target, where the disciples miss the target has to do with the nature of the kingdom and what God was really up to. See, they've, they, they think they've got it figured out. You know, like, are, are you finally going to do this thing that we've been waiting for you to do? And we, we know that this is what you're going to do. You know, are you finally going to restore the, you know, the rule of Israel, right? And so, so, so they, they're missing the target because, because their, the, the thought that they have of, of what God was up to was so different than what he was really up to. And, and Jesus had been trying to get this across to them for uh, quite a bit and obviously had not sunken in fully at this point. Uh, John Stott, in his commentary on Acts, he says that even the wording of their question reveals how misguided the nature of their expectations were. He says, in asking if Jesus was going to restore it shows that they were expecting a political and territorial kingdom. In asking about Israel, it shows that they were expecting a national kingdom. And in wondering if it was going to happen at this time, it shows that they were expecting it, it to be immediately established. Essentially, the disciples were still dreaming of Israel's liberation and, and, and an earthly kingdom of political power. They were still dreaming of the restoration of an earthly kingdom of Israel, and that was still heavy on their mind. Now, I can't help but wonder if this frustrated Jesus to no end. I mean, it does, we, don't, we don't read that that's what happened, but I mean, like I would have been like, guys, you just saw me crucified and raised to life. You know, I'm here resurrected with you. I've been appearing to you for 40 days. We have shared meals together. I've revealed the Scriptures to you. And here you are still focused on the wrong thing. You're still focused on earthly power. But look what Jesus does here. He doesn't do that. Rather than explaining how off base they are, where they're off base, this is how He responds. He says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You notice what Jesus does here by responding this way? First, what He, what he does is He essentially says, guys, you're, you're concerning yourself with the wrong things. Your focus is too low. You know, you're worried about things that you have no control over, right? You know, you, you, the days, dates and times the Father has set by His own authority, you don't have control over that. Why are you even worrying about that? You can't control that. And then He says, power's going to come. Power will come, but not the kind of power you're thinking about. Power is going to come, but it's going to be a different power altogether. It's not a power that's associated with an earthly kingdom. It is a power of a completely different nature, and it's meant for a completely different purpose than what you have in mind. Now, why is it helpful for us to look at this? Why is it helpful for us to look at this misunderstanding? Well, because I think the disciples serve as a great example for us. We're, we're, the, we're the disciples. So many times we see just a mirror in Scripture when we're looking at, the, at their, their lives. They didn't get it, you know, that what God was up to here. And we still don't get it at times either. You know, God is up to, to something huge and we set our sights on lesser things. You know, God, God is inviting us into this dynamic life in His kingdom, and we're busy focusing on our earthly kingdoms. You know? That's why Paul said, you know, I don't concern myself with civilian affairs. Why? Because he was living to an, a heavenly kingdom. His, his first citizenship was that in heaven. 
doesn't mean that we, 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 we completely ignore what happens here because God is, is calling us to be a part of that. We're saying, no, this is where my focus is. And so Jesus said, this is the power. You're gonna, power is going to come, but it's not the power you're thinking about. It's power that is meant for a completely different purpose. You know, even the way, I'll say this, even the way that Jesus responds here to me is so helpful in looking at this account because the character of, G- of Jesus is so like fully displayed in, in a passage like this because he doesn't, he doesn't berate them. You know, he doesn't, like I, I would have said, you know, you're a bunch of knuckleheads. Like, really? Seriously? You know? But he doesn't do that. He, he gently redirects their focus. He doesn't even acknowledge that. He just redirects their focus from the wrong thing to the right thing. And in doing this, what he does is is he shows us the two other points that we're going to look at this morning. Because in his response, Jesus not only addresses and corrects their misunderstanding, but he also clarifies the mission and shares the means by which it will be accomplished. So he clarifies their mission and, and, and shares the means by which it will be accomplished. As Jesus responds to the disciples' misguided question about the restoration of, of, of the kingdom of Israel, Jesus says this in verse 8. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you're looking for a theme for the whole book of Acts, there it is. If you want a theme for the book of Acts, that's where it is. Verse 8 of chapter 1. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus says to his disciples is this is what your mission is. To be my witnesses. To, 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 to tell people about who I am. To point them to me. It's not to restore an earthly government or to install your kingdom and your vision for how you think things should be here on earth. But to be my witnesses and to share about who God is and what He has done. That is the mission. And you know, we see this here, here but we also see it in Matthew 28 with what we call the Great Commission. Where he's, what, what does He say? It says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. And so go, therefore. You know, go and make disciples, teaching them everything I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and surely I'm with you until the end of the age. Surely I'm with you. What's that? It's the Holy Spirit power. And so that, that's exactly what we see here as he's saying, he, he's saying, this is your mission. You know, the book of Acts is the story of God's grace flooding out into the world from the cross and the resurrection of Jesus in Jerusalem to the good news of Jesus going to the ends of the earth. Nothing is more prominent in Acts than the spread of the Gospel. That is the mission. That is the mission for the disciples. And just as it was the mission for the disciples, it is still the mission of us as followers of Jesus and as the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your mission and purpose as well. You know, I, I think sometimes we, we, we turn following Jesus into something that's not. We, we, it becomes this kind of insular thing. But, but, but from the very start, here's been the mission of the church to go and be my witnesses, to go point people to who he is. That's the mission of the church, that's the mission of followers of Jesus is to point more people to Him, to follow Him. Now, this doesn't keep us from other purposes in our lives. You know, it doesn't keep you from your vocation. It doesn't keep you from your gifting, your abilities. In fact, all of those things can be helpful in this. And in fact, you know, just even thinking about the word witness, it's, it, you know, tell about what God has done in your life. And I was thinking about this this morning and like, you know, how many times have I witnessed something that I have to tell somebody about? I have to share a story of what happened. You know, we're constantly doing this. Oh, let me tell you a story about what happened at my house the other day. Let me tell you a story about what the kids did. You know, let me tell you a story about how this happened in my life. You know, and that's what witnessing is. Let me tell you the story about how God changed my life. Let me tell you the story about how, the, and John 9, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. John 9, 
story of a man born blind. We talked about this in our last series. And what does he say? The, the Pharisees come and they question them. They're like, who's this Jesus guy? You know, you're telling us that he did all this. You know, he, he's a sinner. He's like, and, and the guy's like, I don't, I, I don't know. All I know is this. I was blind and now I see. He's witnessing. He's just saying, this is who I was. This is what was going on in my life. And this is what has happened now. This is the new reality that I'm walking in. The only reason that I have this new reality that I'm walking in is because of Jesus. That's witnessing. It's sharing the story of what God has done in our lives. So often we shy away from that. We shy away from that and we just go, I don't want people to think I'm kind of, I'm nutty. You know, like they're not going to, you know, like they're not going to like me if I do this, right? And I, I, listen, I get it. Because it's tough. You get in a situation and it's like, I've got to have courage to do this. Okay? But that is the mission of the church is to share about and to witness about Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, our lives are a testimony of His grace and that is meant to be shared with others around us in Jerusalem and Judea and, and, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Or in other words, here, there, and everywhere. And that is what Jesus is telling the the disciples their mission is. Now, I want to say this. I think it's helpful for us to look at what Jesus does here with the geographical locations and and the phrasing of this as well. This is helpful for us to think through um, because I think it's informative. See, Jesus wasn't just throwing out random spots when he says these places. These locations are significant. See, Jesus says that for the disciples, their mission would begin in Jerusalem, right where they were. He says, he says remain in Jerusalem. Stay here. Stay here. And so that's where their mission would begin. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right where they were. And, and this would have been a place that was known to them. This is a place where they're comfortable, right? Or at least that they're, they're there at this time. And then he says... Judea and Samaria. So he takes them from Jerusalem. A few my witnesses in Jerusalem. And Judea and Samaria. And, and Judea was the region that Jerusalem was in. It was located in. So think about we're in Vero, right? Or you live in Sebastian. Or you live in, 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 in Palm Bay, right? Okay, so think about Indian River County or Brevard County. Wherever it is, you, the larger region is Judea. Or even if you wanted to kind of take it to the state level, you know. We live in Vero, and we're, but we're in the state of Florida. And so, so what's happening is it's kind of beginning to expand a little bit into, into Ju- Judea. So it's not just something that stays here in Jerusalem, but it begins to expand. And, and, and then he says, and Samaria. And Samaria was the region in the north of Judea. Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. There was friction there. There's tension there. Jews wouldn't normally associate with Samaritans, and I think the, the feeling was likely mutual. And, because, and some of this was due to long-standing years and years of conflict between the, the two groups. And also, uh, Jews and, and Samaritans were of a different ethnic makeup, and there were cultural and religious differences between the two groups. And so for Jesus to say, and to Samaria, that's a challenge for the disciples at this point. It means I'm going to have to cross some boundaries, some boundaries that I might not be comfortable with. But Jesus is saying, Judea and Samaria, and then he says, to the ends of the earth, which was essentially everywhere else, which included being witnesses to the Gentiles. Now, if there's a discomfort in the disciples with Samaria, that gets amplified here. Because now Jesus is saying to go to the Gentiles, and that was pretty much unthinkable. Remember, the, the, the uh, disciples are just asking, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Like, are you going to restore our national kingdom? Right? And now he's saying, oh, you guys don't get it. Here's the mission. Start here. Start with the national. Start where you're comfortable, but then you're going to go out to Judea and Samaria and be witnesses to the ends of the earth. He's saying that's what the gospel is is meant to do. It's meant to move forward. It's meant to move outward. That is your mission. 
the, The gospel is meant to be that which is not just in our possession, but that which goes out and extends beyond what are at times our geographical and ethnic and cultural boundaries. The mission of the church is the gospel moving outward. It is the sharing the good news here and there and everywhere. That was the mission of the disciples and it is still our mission as followers of Jesus and as the church as well. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of our earth. It is, it is sharing it in our homes, and with our family, and in our neighborhoods, and in our community, and our state, and our nation, and continuing to take it from there to the ends of the earth. It's not meant to just be shared with those you know and love, and that is, but also those who are beyond the walls of your Jerusalem, so to speak. You know? Those who at times, there's tension there. It's very tough for us to to share. We we have difficulty sharing with. Here, there, and everywhere, that's the mission, is to take the gospel outward. And and here's the cool thing. As we we look at the book of Acts, this is really an outline of what takes place here. So so there's a prescriptive nature, like we're being called to do this, but there's a descriptive uh, element to this as well, because this, if you look at chapter 1 through chapter 7, it is the gospel going to Jerusalem. If you look at chapters 8 and 9, it's the gospel going to Judea and Samaria. If you look at chapters 10 through 28, it's the gospel going to the ends of the earth, all the way to the heart of the world at that time, which was Rome. And so, so Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen. This is what you're called to do, but this is what's going to happen. Now again, the, the book of Acts is the story of God's grace flooding out into the world and the good news of Jesus going to the ends of the earth. That is the mission. And the last thing we're going to, to look at this morning is the means. And here's what I, what I, I mean by this. Um, how does the gospel message go forward? How is the mission of God and the purpose of God accomplished in the world? And the answer is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says you will receive power. That, that word is uh, dunamis, and, and, and it's where we get the word dynamite from. Dynamite. He says you'll receive dynamite. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this today because next week we're going to talk a bit more about the Holy Spirit and we're going to be looking at uh, and digging into the account of Pentecost. So that's a warning for some of you. It's an invitation for others, okay? Uh, We're going to focus a little bit more on the Holy Spirit. I would say it's an invitation to all of us, okay? Because there's going to be a little bit of an uncomfortable nature to my week as well, all right? And trying to figure out and sort through this. What is God really showing us here within this, this, this scripture here, okay? But I would just say this, that the Holy Spirit is the means by which the purposes of God are accomplished in this world. Yes, God works through us just as he worked through his disciples and and, and the apostles that we see in the accounts here on the pages of Acts. But listen, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I are made up of the same stuff that they were made up of. We're, we're We're all made up of the same stuff. We're all humans. So apart from the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit working through them, we're, that's how it is accomplished. Some have actually said that this book, Acts, is actually better, would be better named Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because, because that is really the main character at work here, is the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the member of the Trinity. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is God at work. His Spirit at work here in the church. And so it'd be better to just call it the acts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, yes, He works through Peter and Paul and others, but it is the Holy Spirit that empowers and uses them to be effective witnesses for Him. He is the one who changes hearts and who brings life transformation. Not us. Not them. You know, Paul didn't wish somebody into becoming a believer. The Holy Spirit was working in that, through him, and in the hearts of those that he encountered. And, 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 and listen, he's the one who changes hearts. He's the one who brings life transformation. It, and, but by his amazing grace, 
he for some reason chooses to use us flawed as we are as conduits or, or vessels of his Holy Spirit power to accomplish his will and his purposes in the world around us and that is good news that is really good news because for some reason he allows us to be a part of it he, allow, he, he, he accomplishes his purposes and his mission in the world through us flawed as we are yeah um, here in, in chapter one what we see on full display I mean we looked at that misunderstanding and, and, and we all deal with those things we all sometimes are off base and what we think God is supposed to do or what we think he's going to do and yet he's up to something so much different and he's inviting us into that we looked at that, but we also see really the mission and the means of God. You could also call it the, the, the power and purpose of God. Uh, the, the purpose is, to make, is to, for us to be his witnesses to the world around us. Here, there, and everywhere. But the way that that happens is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Sorry, I, just don't, I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss this. Because I, what I hope is, is you're not hearing. You have to go out and do this. Because we're invited into something that's so much greater than a, a chore. We're invited to be a part of what is, the, what is ultimate reality of God who, who saw us in our sin and sent his, his son God in flesh, Jesus to live a perfect life to go to the cross and bear the weight of every one of our sins and then to rise again defeating death and then coming in the form of the Holy Spirit after ascending into heaven. In verse 9 we see Jesus ascends to heaven and then the Holy Spirit comes down on the disciples and the apostles in chapter 2 of Acts. And so we have the Holy Spirit, the, the presence of God living with us. If you are a follower of Jesus, which if you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I really don't want to miss this moment to talk to you about this. This is the stuff. The John 9 thing that I shared about, that's the story of my life. I was once blind and now I see. And the only thing that I can, the only way that I can explain that is because of Jesus came in and he just dropped me to my knees. And it happened here in this fellowship hall in 2003, and my life has not been the same since. And my hope, my hope for you is that you would, would open yourself up. If you haven't decided to follow Jesus or open yourself up to him, that, that you would open yourself up to him this morning. And talk to somebody about it. Talk to me about it. We'll come and come forward and we'll pray about it after the, the but don't miss the most important thing that can ever happen in your life and that's the change that comes when you give your life over and you surrender it to Jesus Christ that is the most important thing you can ever do in your life so I don't want to miss the opportunity to, to, to witness and, and to tell you that I think sometimes we get caught up and we, we just we think we've got more important things to do but that's the most important thing I can ever do is to tell you about Jesus because he changed my life and I know he can change yours So here in chapter 1, we see that Jesus is calling us. He's inviting us into that, that very same thing. He 
He's not saying, here's a list of chores you guys have to do. You, first, you've got to go to Jerusalem, and then you've got to go to Judea and Samaria, and then pick up milk and eggs when you go to you know, the ends of the earth. He's not saying, here are your chores that you have to do. He's saying, I'm inviting you into something that is so much bigger than anything you could ever imagine. It is the work of the living God in this world. And yes, there's a time where it's going to come Spirit is going to be poured out on all of his believers. And those, those prophecies that, that they were asking him about are going to come to pass. Yes, there will be that time. But for now, your mission is to be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. And the power of the Holy Spirit will enable you as you go. Uh, I'm going to invite uh, Caleb and... Uh, the, the music team to come forward um, we're going we're gonna to actually close receiving communion and I was thinking about this um, you know the uh, this account that we're looking at here in chapter 1 Jesus talks to, to the disciples about this he, he tells the, the disciples this while they're sitting at a table enjoying a meal together and he says you know and, 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 and that's a kind of a cool thing on a morning like this because we get an opportunity to sit around a table with Jesus this morning as well. And we get an opportunity as we come together and, and receive uh, communion together to, to, to reflect on his body broken for us on the cross, his blood poured out for us, but also the continuous presence that we have in and through him with us now, that he dwells with us, that his spirit dwells with us. He, he is with us. And so as we come to the table this morning, I just want to invite you to reflect on that. Uh, the, the team's going to lead us in a song to prepare our hearts. If you don't have elements yet and you want to get them, this would be a great time to do that. You can come up here forward and get them, or you can get them in the back. But we're going to sing through this song. And I want to invite you to use this as an opportunity to prepare your hearts, to really think about what Jesus did for you on the cross, what he did by rising again, and what he's calling in, you into. Because it's the greatest story that you can ever be called into the story of God continuing to unfold in this world that, that, that we live in. And so I want to invite you to do that. Let's, let's, let's sing together. Oh, how could it be that my God would welcome me into this mystery? Say, take this bread, take this wine, now the simple may divine for any to receive and by your mercy we come to your table and by your grace you are making us faithful lord we remember you and remembrance leads us to worship and as we worship you our worship leads to communion and we respond to your invitation we remember you body is blood know that he has overcome every trial we will face and none too lost to be saved none too broken or ashamed all are welcome in this place and by your mercy we come to your table by your grace you are making us faithful Lord we remember you and remembrance leads us to worship and as we worship 
What worship leads to communion We respond to your invitation We remember you We respond to your invitation. We remember you. I invite you to receive the body and cup. And as we share uh, the bread and the cup, we recognize the sacrifice of Jesus. We recognize the forgiveness that we have in in him, the new covenant that is provided through his blood and his continuous presence in our lives. And as we come together in sharing this, we also recall the command of Jesus to do this in remembrance of me and the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians to hold to the realization that as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we find ourselves proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. This is our one of those places of witness. So I'm going to invite you at this time, whenever that you're ready to, to take of the bread and take of the cup, and we'll close in song. Father, thank you that we can gather together this morning, that we can read from your word, Lord, that we can gather together in receiving communion as well, and and that we can reflect on on your body broken for us, your blood poured out for us, and also your continuous presence in our lives. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to do that this morning. Lord, I thank you that you're calling us into something so much greater and that which we would put together ourselves, that which we would put our hands and our lives to. You're inviting us into something. Hmm. We want to accept, we want to receive that invitation, Lord. We desire to point people to you. We desire to be your witnesses, but we also confess that sometimes, Lord, that's we just don't even understand how or what to do. So I pray that you would give us wisdom, but even more than wisdom, Lord, that your great power would enable us, your presence dwelling in us, Lord, would be that which propels us forward which propels us outward, taking the gospel from our Jerusalem, our Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for this time that we've had together this morning. Pray that you'd be glorified in this. We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen.